0: we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302 and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding and a clear
1: direction on what to do next your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor, please like, share, and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. Each episode of Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us. In this episode, we have Pete Hall with a focus on leading instruction in schools, specifically on capacity building for school-wide success. After a teaching career that spanned pre-K through eighth grade over three states, Pete served 12 years as a principal in three Title I schools, one of which was the only Title I school in the state of Nevada to earn a high-achieving designation. Another earned accolades from the Washington State Office of the Superintendent for its growth and achievement, and the other earned a Career and Life Readiness Award from the state of Washington. For his tenacious and courageous leadership, Pete was honored with Nevada's Martin Luther King Jr. Award in 2005. He was appointed to the Governor's Commission on Excellence in Education in 2005 and was selected to sit on the National Education Association's Great Public Schools Indicators Advisory Panel. He holds a National Principal Mentor Certificate from NAESP and supports leadership development from the Organizational Level to the individual level. He now works as a personal consultant, mentor, and motivational coach for school leaders, teachers, professional athletes, weekend golfers, stand up comedians, firefighters, business executives, custodians, Delawareans, and more. He's currently working on his 10th book, Strive How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives. And we can't wait to see that book come out and check it out. We'll have to have you on the podcast again. Pete, and don't forget to check out his work at educationhall.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and as always, don't forget to like, share, and follow. You can always get more content from us at theschoolhouse302.com. Go to the site, click on follow. Okay, Pete, we're gonna jump right in here. You wrote a book called, among others, Reflective Practice, capacity building for school-wide success. We also featured you in our book, Passionate Leadership, because of your layered approach to leading instruction in schools. People have said nothing but great things about that and are using the framework. Today, we would like you to tell us why you wrote the book, Reflective Practice, what is it about, what it means to help teachers become self-reflected practitioners, and what you want educators to take from your message. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, we can't wait to hear from you today. Gosh, dude, that's a lot. You just yeah. <laughs> shared a lot of my bio
2: that I think my mom wrote for me. It was pretty well, well done. <laughs> Got a lot of questions to get started. I appreciate you having me on the show. It's great to be a part of this podcast and this opportunity. I guess I'd go back to several years ago when I was a newer principal in a school that was underperforming. And I had an idea to bring on what we referred to as instructional coach. And at the time, there weren't instructional coaches around. We had literacy facilitators and we had reading people and math people, but we didn't really have instructional coaches. So we kind of invented and created that as we went along. And so I partnered with Lisa Simmerall, who was an instructional coach that I hired at a school in Reno with me. And together we built the model. So we built a model that we published in a couple of different books and The book Creating a Culture of Reflective Practice is kind of the culmination of 15 years worth of work in truly addressing the idea of how do we build the capacity of the people under our charge. Because as leaders, as instructional leaders, it's our responsibility to make sure that our people are equipped and ready to handle the challenges put before them. And it's our job then to make sure that we do whatever we can to give them the tools, give them the strategies, give them the motivation, give them the the support to be as effective as they could possibly be. So that's kind of the big idea was about it. And just thrilled to death at the reception that that book has gotten and the implementation it's had all across the country that folks are seeing maybe a a smoother, more effective way to do the work that we're already doing anyway. Supervising, coaching, providing feedback, engaging in conversations, that sort of work. And so that's what our prime is designed to do.
1: That's great. So let's first start with the fact that you said it's 15 years of of, of work that culminated in the book. Can you describe a little bit about that work? We've got your bio, you're a principal school, lots of accolades. What were you doing and what layers were you adding as the principal of the school that you felt like, wow, this stuff's really working, we should write a book about it, or even the things that you felt most successful, like what were you doing in those 15 years that kind of taught you the strategies that you repeated. I mean, the best part of your success story is that it wasn't one school. You did it in a number of schools. So, I'm sure you implemented that program of work again and again. What what would what would you say you were replicating at that time?
2: I think more than anything else, just kind of boiled down leadership into its two most basic elements. And number one is As leaders, it's our responsibility to create a clear and compelling vision for what a better future could look like. So it's not work that's done in isolation, that's work that's done by talking to stakeholders and talking with teachers and students, parents, family, community members, business members, and just clarifying and tweaking and modifying that and getting it to the point where then everybody is on board. And I kind of refer to that as the William Wallace, the kind of, for Scotland, we're all going to do this, right? and getting everybody on board to say, yes, that's the better future we all want. Let's work towards that. And then the second thing that great leaders do is they find out what it's gonna to take to move each individual person a little bit closer to that ideal, better future. So, What's the motivation? What's the strategy development? What's the coaching? What kind of yeah. feedback? I mean, Sometimes people need a butt kicking. Sometimes they need a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they need a hand to hold. We just have to figure that out as leaders. So that's the challenge, the second part. And that, I make it sound really easy, but it's super complicated work when we're dealing with human beings. So over the course of the 12 years that I was a principal that you're referring to, that's exactly what we did. Just worked on clarifying what is the vision, what are we truly trying to accomplish, getting everybody on board to those big ideas. And then targeting individual people and personalizing leadership, finding out and just knowing and being aware of the fact that I'm leading a professional development session or a faculty meeting or something, not everybody in the same room needs to hear just this one message. Yeah. Everybody that comes to the table has a slightly different uh, desire and a need for what they're going to, what it's going to take to help move them forward. And so as I'm planning PD, I can't just be thinking, well, what do I want to share with people? It's what do people need from me during this time? So then the day-to-day grind, which is 12 years times 180 school days plus, right. is connecting with people and building relationships and providing feedback and coaching, connecting folks' individual goals to that vision. Again, it's just it's a lot of really, really hard work that um, the more we focus our attention on, the better results we get. So I make it sound really easy, and it is not easy work at all.
1: Yeah, and I mean, woven in your response there is a lot of trust building. We sometimes get this wrong around being nice versus clarifying expectations. And I think you kind of show that it's the clarity of the vision, not the lowering of expectations that gets the work done and builds the trust with the people. And it's worth writing a, a blog post or a book with the title, Butt Kicks and Back Rubs. Because I think that uh, demonstrates what you're talking about. Yeah.
2: The thing about trust is really easy to break. It's really difficult to build. And the the best way to build trust is to say you're going to do something and then do it. So as, as leaders, when we come in and say, this is our priority, our priority is student learning. And the best avenue to address student learning is to maximize the impact of our teachers our educators to build their capacity. Then if I actually act that way, Over the course of a month, a year, a career, or or a series of time at a school, then that builds trust that that's actually what I'm interested in. If I start diverting from that path and start doing things that are easy for me or favors for somebody else, or I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm not going to call somebody on something, that erodes trust in an organization. Yeah. Uh, back rubs and that back rubs and butt kicking. And yeah, and it really is just a matter of being authentic and being genuine and having clarity of the goal and the discipline to be able to work towards that goal. And like you said, it's, it's not about being nice, but being kind is always going to be a part of this equation. We're dealing with human beings and we want the, the best version of our people in front of kids every day. But we need to be the best version of ourselves when we're in front of our staff every day.
1: Yes. Yeah, so the best version of yourself, the hard work that that takes, I mean, it's a grind. It's day in and day out. I like that you mentioned it's every day. It's 180 days with kids. Let's talk about that capacity building piece. A lot of our listeners and the folks in the room as practitioners like very granular tips and tricks, and you provided that for us in Passionate Leadership with the five ways that you saw classroom visits happening in some of your schools. Let's pivot to some of the capacity building tools, tricks, tips that you have. You mentioned feedback and conversations and personalizing that to the people on staff. Can you talk a little bit about feedback and how that worked for you and and how you recommend leaders using that?
2: Sure, a couple things about feedback. One is to make sure that it's a process and that's one of the biggest impediments to implementing effective feedback and seeing the kind of change that we wanna see is that we, when we start to believe that I gave you feedback, now do something with it, that should be enough, that's never going to be enough. So if feedback is part of a give and take, it's a conversation, it's a process, it's a dialogue, it's interactive, then you start to see impact taking place because you're able to exchange ideas and ask questions, respond, etc. So that's one big piece about feedback we wanna make sure that we're clear on. And the other piece that, really catches a lot of people up and this is kind of the thesis of our work is that it's not about what we do in the classroom that's not the most important thing when when we're looking at our teachers as instructional leaders we're not just looking at the actions they're taking and the decisions they're making what we want is what's going on inside their heads what we want to do is kind of peel back the layers of the artichoke and explore with each of our teachers why are you doing this what are you trying to accomplish what is the goal here uh, what are some strategies that you have elected to not pursue in that uh, particular goal? Uh, what are some things that you have chosen? Why did you choose that strategy? What are you looking for as a metric of success? And when we start asking questions like that, we peel back the veneer and we get to the heart of what, what is actually driving us as teachers and as educators. And our decision making and our thought process, that speaks volumes to then what we can Impact in the future. So, if we know how our people are thinking and how they're reflective and how they go about the process of planning and implementing and assessing a lesson, then we have a much better chance of digging deep into any other lesson that they might teach and any other strategy they might try to employ, because we know the thought processes. So, we know where our folks' thinking is breaking down. We know where their thinking is clear. So, what we've done in our our tool is we've built a a, a rubric of sorts. It's a it's a, a continuum that has different stages of reflective practice that describes the differences in how we reflect on our professional work. And when we can kind of pinpoint how our teachers are reflecting on their practice, then we can make sure that we're providing the right prompts for folks that match their reflective abilities and their skills and their habits at that given, at any given moment. So long story short, you have some folks that are doing the best they can with what they've got and they just got a new curriculum or they just got a new placement. They just got, they're just trying to make it through the day. And so sometimes we just need to say, you know what, right now I'm just going to tell you, do this. Here's how you do it. Implement it this way. And there are other folks that are trying some new strategies and are trying to refine it and make it work a little bit. And so those are the folks that we're going to ask, well, why is this the strategy you chose? What is it about this strategy you think is, is beneficial and productive? And they will be able to think through that there are other folks that are really now committed to the strategy and they're just trying to make it work better and they're trying to get the kind of impact we want. So our questions are a little bit more open-ended at that point asking, well, what are the goals? It's a, it's a complicated way to say we are speaking our teacher's language. So rather than have our teachers come into our offices and sit down and have a, a feedback conversation in which we ask them to acquiesce to educators speak, We are speaking the language of our teachers. We know where they are. We know how they reflect. We know they think about their practice. And we're asking them the right question in the right moment to help move them forward from wherever they are to where they need to be.
1: That's fantastic. So in that model, you are getting people to become more self-reflective, right? So that's the goal. Absolutely. It's kind of like a, a giant application of the
2: gradual release of responsibility, really, and it's about reflective practice because if I, can, if I can teach you about your own reflective practices and I can give you some next steps and how you can grow that part of your brain, then I can feel pretty confident that when you're faced with a new challenge, you'll be able to think your way through it. If I always tell you what to do and always give you the expectations and make it very clear, this is what you need to do, this is what it needs to look like, this is when it needs to happen, and when you're faced with a new challenge, instead of being able to think your way through it on your own, you're always going to come back to me and say, okay, what do you want me to do now? So I want to build capacity in my folks. I don't want my folks always coming to me, meeting me because there's a limit to what I know, right? And as soon as I've hit my limit, I can't help you anymore. But if I can teach you the art of self-reflection, then you can handle any challenge that comes your way. And the beauty of this work is that it works with teachers, counselors, leaders. It works for librarians. It works for... Bus drivers, it works for taxi drivers, it works for barbecuers, hairstylists, I mean, you name it. Once we've mastered the art of how to reflect on our work and how to improve it, there's nothing we can't handle, nothing we can't tackle.
1: Very insightful, Pete. Uh, Just one more follow-up on the book, and then we're going to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned so this art of self-reflection and getting teachers to a position of being self-reflective. And one thing that we've kind of dug into recently is the cognitive science involved with teaching and the human brain. And you're very educated about the trauma-informed stuff. One thing that the cognitive scientists have been clear about is that it's really hard for teachers to teach and reflect on their practice. Like It's something we talk about, but it's hard to reflect on something that you're doing while you're doing it especially when it's as as complex as teaching. And you coupled that with conversations and feedback. So for the people in the room and the listeners, when you say reflecting on practice, where do you expect that to happen outside of just expecting people to do something that the cognitive scientists are like, I'm not sure that they're able to do that. It's not that we don't, don't, we don't believe in reflection. It's just about where and when that's a Appropriate. I'm kind of leaning towards PLCs, but I'd like to get your kind of input for the places where these conversations are most helpful and when in the cycle of this feedback conversation and lesson planning and lesson delivery, you insert this reflection.
2: That's a great question. And that's the one that catches a lot of people up because I liken it to going to the gym working out and trying to build some muscle, Right or training for a marathon and get to build up some endurance. It takes a while to do that. And you have to do that in isolation first. And the whole reason that we want to <laughs> build muscle, yes, to be healthy. And because if there ever comes a time where um, we have to pick up a car and get something out of under the car, you know, like a child, we want to have the muscle built up to be able to do that. That's kind of an extreme example. What I'm trying to say is when it comes to reflective practice, we have to start that in a separate place. It has to st- you have to kind of do that in your own gym. For and each of us has our own reflective gym. Some of us, it's when we exercise, and when we cook, and when we get or garden, or go for a walk with a dog. TJ, you and I, it's when we wash our hair, you know, lengthy <laughs> processes of, of self-reflection. And we all have our places. Some, some people have commutes, and they love having a commute. Some people have to go for a walk when they get home, just to kind of clear their mind and go through some of those processes. So that's, that's one piece of it is you got to build it. The, a second piece of it is you need to know what questions to ask yourself. We can't just expect folks to go to the gym and start working out and build muscle, and we can't expect, expect folks to just go off into a closet someplace and start reflecting. We want to make sure that we give them the right prompts and we give them the right tools so that they can learn the art of how to self-reflect and what are the right questions that I should be asking myself that are going to help me myself forward and move my practice forward and have a better impact in my professional ambitions whatever it is i'm working on as as we go forward we start to weave reflective practice into our lesson planning with our plc teams and in our team meetings and team planning that's a great time to infuse some questions that can be bantered about at the table sometimes it's great to hear our colleagues thinking as well um one of the one of the most powerful benefits we have to that plc structure is the opportunity here some of our more reflective colleagues engage in what we call think alouds. So we understand how they process these questions and kind of dig into some things that are challenging to us. We start reflecting after the lessons and as a former administrator, I was always trained to ask my folks reflective questions at the end of observations. I have since learned that not all questions are created equal and we talked about that a minute ago. And the other piece is in the perfect world, what we're trying to do is develop these habits of thinking that while the scientists may say this is a really hard thing to do, it's not an impossible thing to do, to be in a lesson, in a classroom, teaching our hard app and reflecting on what's working, what's not working in the moment. Which kids is this working for? What do I need to do? What do I need to tweak? How can I change this group? Hey, you guys come over here for a second. Let's work on this. we see teachers do this all the time. And what we wanna do is be able to teach those habits of thinking and call it to their attention so that when I notice, gosh, this lesson is not working the way I want it to work, why not? What is it about the lessons that, that isn't working? What can I tweak? What can I do to make an, a shift right now in the moment so I don't have to wait till at the end of the period to make a change and then fix it for tomorrow? I can actually fix it right now to some extent. So we do believe that it's possible. We believe that it's the result of hard work and dedication and questioning from instructional coaches, from peers, from team leaders, from administrators, and from ourselves, the willingness to really ask ourselves some tough questions as well.
1: You are dropping the science today, man. I mean, I'm writing down, I got here the reflection, gym, finding space to do your thinking, habits of thinking, and crafty questions. Like when you're done with strive how ordinary people can live extraordinary lives. You have like seven more books to write just based on this podcast.
2: Well, they, they, those can all be blogs. Those are all clever titles
1: of blogs. I like that. It's good. It's good. All right, we're gonna switch gears just a little bit to some instructional leadership and school leadership questions that we like to ask on our podcast yeah. in this second half. So hopefully we'll get some some of your more of your insight here. The first question is one that we love to hear from leaders who have been all over the place like yourself, consulting, working in schools, experience as a school leader. If you're going to improve the student experience in every school, Mm. this is the student experience, what would you want to see done? So you've talked about a better future and clarity around a vision. What is the one or two things that would improve a student experience? Every school should do it.
2: Oh Lord, I don't know if we could whittle that down to two. I think, number one, we need to get our students' voice heard a little bit more. I, I think that we've spent so much time as adults in back rooms and in board rooms and in who knows where, making decisions on what's best for kids. And yes, they're kids, they don't know any better, right? <coughs> However, I think that our kids, our students have a tremendous amount that they can add to the conversation as far as what might make the experience better. And I share that with a giant asterisk because I'm, I'm a believer that the school system that we have constructed and have maintained for the last how many decades, is no longer fitting the bill. I think the way that we do school doesn't really work the way that it could. I think it works for a lot of kids. I do not think it works for enough kids for us to continue to, to run schools the way we do it. I mean, I'm a big fan of Plato, not Plato, Plato, the Greek <laughs> philosopher back in the day. He said, above all else, kids should be reared in two things, civics and gymnastics. And if, you've, if you think about the last 20 years in American education in particular, we have had this laser light focus on reading and math, test scores, and that has driven everything we do. And if you go back to what Plato said, civics and gymnastics, I mean, those were the two things that were the first two that were on the chopping block when uh, No Child Left Behind came along and kind of derailed some things or maybe railed us on some things civics as as i know it is the understanding of how we fit in the greater society and how we how we interact with each other how we have culture and how we celebrate each other and our differences and how we're willing to uh, just be just be travelers together and then gymnastics is the idea of obviously knowing where our body is in space and proprioception and the idea of of how do we how do we move our body through life And you take those two things together, and you've got a nimble mind, which is what we're teaching through civics, and a nimble body, which is what we teach through gymnastics. And I think with those two tools, there is nothing that we can't, as a society and as an individual, overcome or surpass or thrive in. So... What I said first about getting student voice, I think that's powerful. I would say, I think we need more time for kids to just play in school all the way through age 18. And I I believe that we need to bring back the at least the celebration of civics and gymnastics as the core of what we're actually trying to do. If indeed what we're trying to do is build stronger communities and prepare kids to be healthy contributing members to our, our society.
1: Yeah, and so, it's a great answer to the question. And I would, I'd like also just to say for the audience we've interviewed now, we've had two of the podcasts have gone live and we have about a dozen more that will be coming out in, in our series. Student voice. I mean, I I was thinking Adam welcome, Jimmy Casas, Brad Weinstein, star Saxon, Sine Bell, Connie Hamilton. I mean, student voice comes up over and over again with the notion that the school system is not built for their voice to be the voice. And that's gotta be a change that we work on. So thank you so much for that. I think you've actually in the second answer provided a platform for that, a framework, if you will, in terms of coming back to our roots with civics and gymnastics, you can't really teach civics without giving kids voice and you are certainly not going to let them play around and move around Without some noise.
2: Yeah, little,
1: you can't be a free for all. No. So that's great. So, how about this question? What's one of your favorite resources to support teaching, learning, and leadership in schools? When you go places and you give out books, resources, websites, people in the room want tools and places to go. What, what do you say to that? The professional learning community model that you referred
2: to earlier is is one of the most powerful things that we've ever done in education and it's it's kind of a simple idea of it takes a village to raise a child. And so I'm a big proponent of that work. I'm a big proponent of truly getting our adult our professionals together to have conversations to engage in some dialogue to press each other ask and answer really tough reflective questions. I just think that's that's probably our top the top structural piece that we have that makes the current educational system uh, as powerful as it can be.
1: Do you have a book that you love for that or a website that you would go to that supports your notion of your, your favorite notions of PLCs? Yeah, the stuff that the late
2: Rick and Becky DeFore did through solution tree and, and other competitors to some of the work that I do, but that leaders of learning a book that Rick DeFore, Bob Marzano wrote is a fantastic resource uh, for leaders as well. So that, that'd be kind of the direction I'd send them in.
1: And that is a great book. We will link back to that. I love that book because it combines the viable curriculum that Marzano talks about with the way to do it through PLCs. So thank you for that. Let's talk about you for a second here. You've done a lot and you've had an impact in the next three to five years. What does that look like for you to feel like you're continuing to make an impact? What's on the horizon? We know you're going to write another book. What do you want to do with that work, and, and where do you want to go with it? The new project
2: that I'm working on that you referred to is called Strive, How Ordinary People Can Live Extraordinary Lives. And it is not an educational book. It is a life book. hundred and some odd years of knowing seven very remarkable human beings who are rather ordinary. They, they're, they're ordinary people DNA, just like you and me. There's nothing that you would look at them and say, gosh, there's something really special about you. That's just normal, ordinary people that have done extraordinary things with their lives. They have found happiness. They have found success. They have defined it for themselves. They have an acute sense of who they are as human beings. They're goal-driven. They're surrounded by the right people. So what I've done basically is taken these seven people who I have known for a long time, just seven exceptional people, like I said, and extracted the lessons from them that can help all of us. I have read enough the kind of self-help make you feel better kind of books to know that i can only read so many quotes from famous politicians long long since past multi-billion dollar athletes you know those the people that are really kind of unreachable far as what our life trajectories are going to look like so for the tremendous majority of human beings we just want to be happy we just want to be successful we want to find joy in our lives we want to live a better life tomorrow than we live today. And so what these seven people that I've interviewed and talked to and lived with and, and gotten to know really closely have shared are these what I've come come 13 different lessons that just are reachable, the human condition and how all of us have greatness within us. And it's not the kind of greatness that is gonna make us a bazillion dollars, it's not the kind of greatness that is gonna get us on the cover of magazines, it's just the kind of greatness that will fill us up with joy and happiness and love. I think that's something worth doing. So I'm thrilled to death to be doing that. And over the next three to five years, I'm hoping that I will finish that project the book and then be able to share it as much as I
1: can. That's great. We can't wait to read it. We can't wait to, to get a hold of those reachable lessons. And so just a couple more questions here. Is there someone who you follow? You mentioned that book being not education. So that tells me that you're doing work outside education or you're at least steeped in the business field or social sector. Is there a, a person or, or a place that you, that's non-educational that you would tell the people in the room and the listeners, you got to follow this work? If you're business
2: inclined, then Marcus Buckingham is is our guy. If you're educationally inclined, there's an assistant principal in Washington named Andre Wicks, who would be someone that I would certainly follow. He's not even on social media, so I don't know how you'd follow him. I guess you'd have to stalk him we put some pressure on them to get them going on that. I think, as funny as this sounds, Twitter, you know, educators do Twitter better than anybody else does. My presence on Twitter is almost exclusively educators. We do such a nice job in education and Twitter, just learning from each other and leaning on each other and being open with each other about what we want and how can we help each other. It's, it's It's a really nice, powerful network. And I don't know the extent to which other fields have really embraced Twitter as a way to learn from each other and to build network rather than pointing the direction of any individual person. I think each of us has our own proclivities and interests and desires for what we want out of life. And so we we seek people out who have done good work in that field. We seek people out who have been successful and and are happy doing it. And if you can find those people and follow those people, I think that's the way to go.
1: That's a great place to end. We'll get everybody on Twitter. We met you on Twitter. We sought you to be on the podcast on Twitter. And it's an awesome place to just say, let everybody go to Twitter and follow Pete Hall. And Pete, it was just a great interview. I'm sure the people in the room are just scribbling notes like crazy. And we're going to talk about a bunch of that. Thank you for being on the show. Is there anything else that you would like to add?
2: No, I just, want to, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for thinking to me, and kudos to you, and thanks for letting me be a part of it. I appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you, Pete. That was fantastic. You heard it here on Focus Ed. Pete Hall, everyone, how about a round of applause from our studio audience? Don't forget to follow schoolhouse 302com for podcasts, blog posts, books, to read, and more. We'll see you next time on Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days?
0: What's that, TJ?
1: Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep.
0: I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell. How do we go about getting better sleep?
1: Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend GhostBed, our sponsor, with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed.
0: That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you.
1: And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout.
0: Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out ghost bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest.
1: Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com a hundred bucks for your referral if you get somebody else a good night's sleep better sleep for you better leadership ghostbed.com you can't beat it ghostbed.com